Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the political party. Today's guest is Jeff Norcott, the fantastic comedian, conservative supporter, although not necessarily forever and we come on to that, but where Jeff's politics come from, what his political awakening was, uh issues around class. And this is fantastic and I should have had Jeff on years ago. That's true of so many of my guests. And I always think, well actually the benefit of having waited is that there's a longer view that you can take of all these things. But this is really good and Jeff really thinks about not just capital P politics, but lowercase p small p i think is the phrase social politics and um all sorts of different issues so we hop and skip around the place on lots of different things but it's just great picking his mind about these things and um he thinks about a lot of stuff in a very interesting way so i'll come on to that in a second don't forget you can email the show politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com usually people get in touch about encounters they've had with politicians but i wanted to read you an email from james who got in touch to say he really enjoyed the tom tugan hat episode now i've had so many messages about that um including from dan jarvis who enjoyed it which is a relief given that um, tom revealed he'd seen him naked so it's good to know that i will not be facing uh, any legal issues for publishing that um, revelation um anyway james talks about how much he enjoyed the Tom Tugan episode, um, how he and a colleague who worked for the Foreign and Commonwealth Office came to the show. Anyway, he says, I need to confess, it was me. I heckled about the David Cameron comment. I got over giddy. <laughs> James, you are forgiven. Of course, heckling is usually not permitted, but that one time it was okay because you chipped him with something funny. You were adding, you were not subtracting. So... Please behave yourself if you do come to the political party in future. The next show is with James Cleverly, who gets a mention on this show. Um, James and, and, and Jeff, I think, know each other. Uh, James has been on the show before, and he's brilliant. He's a very funny man, a very thoughtful man, a very candid and honest man. And he's a foreign office minister, so there's lots to talk about. That is on Monday, the 4th of April. You can get tickets to that and all future shows, including Jacob Rees-Mogg, Rosie Duffield, Gary Neville, David Davis, and more to be announced. And Jeff is on tour at the moment. Jeff's tour runs until May. Uh, his brilliant tour, I Blame the Parents, is going all over the UK. I put a link to that and a link to his book as well, Where Did I Go Right? right How the Left Lost Me. And that title really, I guess, in a way, runs through this interview it is about whether uh jeff was drawn to the right or repelled from the left or a bit of both so it's a really interesting uh in a very apt title for his book um but i've known jeff a long time and we began well i began by reminding him of i think the first time we have a gig together which i can't remember the year but it was a room above a pub in nottingham Christ, yeah, I remember those, those, <laughs> those weird gigs back then. Yeah. I don't remember that. Was was I all right? Because the, the fear is, is if one comedian doesn't remember, is that I was acting like an entitled prick. So please 
Please oh, no, be God, honest. No, no, you were you were wonderful on and off stage. I think I I think oh, I may God. well have died badly. I think I might have been compared, but you were fantastic. Uh, and that was the first time I'd seen you. Um, and what's interesting, obviously, now in retrospect, is at the time neither of us were doing political comedy, and now both oh, of us are. Yeah. Um, so, what for you um, changed? What made you switch from doing the stand-up you were doing then to the stand-up you're doing now? Well, first up, I'll answer that in a second. I just want to say I'm a big fan of this podcast, okay? So there is this weird thing between comedians. There is, I just got to explain to the listener, because as a fan of the podcast, I think some people will be going, what the hell has he got a comedian on for? So I would just say that I'm, I'm mindful that I'm not a politician. What? And, and hey, as a, come on, don't do and this. As a fan, no, as a fan, no, but I've been listening to this podcast for several years. So it's this strange world that... You know, in podcasting, where you have a mate who you've been on nights out with, but you also listen to them week in, week out, and are a fan of their podcast. So, so I, I, I'm, I'm really glad to be here, and I'll try, I'll try not to be too, you know, frivolous, or equally, I'll try not to sound <laughs> like a, no, no, but, but also, I'll try not to sound like a junior Tory minister. How about that? I'll try and well, strike just... a line. Depends, you know, if you want to be a junior Tory minister, then it's it's fine to sound. Like I don't one. even know if I could do junior, to be honest. <laughs> even if there was a career trade, sadly. Um, but yeah, in terms of when I got into politics, it was about, um, or when I started speaking about it, um, I'd voted for the Conservatives in 2010. You know, I'd started off, I was a new Labour guy, like pretty much everyone uh, that I knew, uh, and drifted a bit towards the Lib Dems. And then by 2010, I wasn't, I wasn't sort of like furious with Labour, but I did feel that the Brown administration was a bit played out and, and lacking ideas. So I sort of liked the cut of Cameron's jib. Uh, I remember I saw him once, actually. I was on the South Bank and he was walking past with this this team. And it's it can be so like emotional, politics. But And people get annoyed hearing this, but he was tall and he walked with purpose. And I thought, here we go. Yeah, that's my guy. <laughs> that's, I mean, there were, there were one or two other things, you know, some of the language around kind of like managing the debt spoke to me as well. So, so I'd voted Conservative in 2010, which for my family and background was quite a big lurch across uh, a divide. You know, we're not like a, a sort of left wing died in the wall Northern family, but it's certainly, you know, there were no fans of Thatcher. Um, and then it got to about 2013 and I was doing the club circuit a lot and I was doing a lot of kind of armed forces gigs, which I hate to mention, but there you go. But you know, five <laughs> tours of Afghanistan, but, you know, I prefer not to bring it up. And, and then um, and then I was just sort of saying to my wife, like, I, I talk about the same things a lot. I, I felt like there was some, you know, it's like in club comedy. There's a lot of there's certain subjects that you tend to go to. And I love those subjects, but I wanted to do something more challenging. And um, she said to me, well, you know, you vote conservative. That's a bit weird, isn't it? For a comedian, I was like, it is weird. And so I had a I had a show coming up at Leicester Comedy Festival. I just thought, I'm just going to do like 15 minutes on it and just see where it goes. And I, I, to be honest, I sort of set it as a kind of p- tricky par five, you know, like a golf challenge. Like, could I still get laughs uh, in this context? And yeah. and that was the way it was for, for the for, for the first few years. I, I kind of liked the jeopardy element of it. And, and, and really, no one really gave a toss. Like at first up, I wasn't very good at it for a long, long time. And then it was only when Brexit happened that, that people seemed to care about that stuff. Because your um, political grounding seems to be very class-based. It's that you're working class and, and your politics comes from that identity. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, you say this speaking to a bloke who now lives in Cambridgeshire who's having a new kitchen put in. So I think... <laughs> I think what I've become is Mondeo Man. Do you remember Mondeo Man? Of course I do, yeah. 
I think I'm Mondeo man, to be honest, Bordy. It's tragic There's nothing to wrong admit. Mondeo was a good car. I'd have loved to have Mondeo had a Mondeo. was a good and it swung the 92 election. But uh, yeah, class comes into it. But for me, it was slightly different because my family were on a kind of middle class trajectory, right? So my dad, even though, you know, I say he's a union man, he was a union man in the southeast. You know, I, the union man conjures up an image of a flat cap and one out, all out, you know, <laughs> and, it, and it wasn't quite like that in the, in the context he was in. But he was doing all right. Mum was working part time. And at that time of life, you know, having two parents in work, we were doing all right. And then and then there were issues with, you know, with my dad becoming out of work and my parents got divorced. And then there was this weird left turn in our life where my my mum decided to leave my dad with the house in the divorce settlement, which is a bit, <laughs> it's a bit out there, wasn't it? I mean, the old, the old thing was take him for the house, wasn't it? That was the old phrase in the 80s. But she left him with the house. So she was a contrarian. And then we ended up on a council. <laughs> and so we ended up on a council estate, but in Wimbledon. So even then there's this, these weird dimensions. And so my formative years were spent on a council estate and, and we, you know, things were, were tight. We weren't in poverty, but we certainly flirted with it quite a lot. And that was the bit, that was what I came into consciousness among. So you, your dad was a draftsman for British Telecom. He was, yeah. And was he a member of the Communication Workers Union? I think he would have been. And then he kind of climbed the pole of union work. I have these memories as a kid, Matt, of, um, of staying in like fancy hotels. So I think that, you know, like oh, wow. when you start to think, I mean, this is one of the things that, that I realised in the book was when you start teasing at what your political identity is, you sort of love to think that it's the, you've just come to this rational synthesis of the world. And then you go, oh, it's just a load of different biases that I've kind of accrued. And I can remember... In particular, in, in this really nice hotel in Ipswich, uh, in, with like two, four poster beds in the room. Oh my god! And I, yeah, and I can't claim that even then I was thinking, well, how are they, t- you know, how are they affording this? But it, I certainly remembered it. And um, and he was, I think he was, he was getting towards the the most senior bits of the trade union kind of movement. I remember seeing him spying him through a kind of uh, 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 in a conference room in Bournemouth, you know, speaking. And there were a lot of people there. And then he got then he got bombed by the union, you know. Uh, he he kind of um, he put a few people's noses out of joint and stuff. And uh, so, but yeah, he that was his kind of trajectory, draftsman, but also looking to make some sort of quasi political career for himself. And in the labour movement, presumably. Yeah, yeah. And would he talk to you about politics? Oh yeah, yeah, all the time. I mean, the family were were very politically uh, kind of oriented. My my mum also. It's a bit more scary. It's harder to find details. Neither of us are, them are with us anymore. So I kind of like, it, 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 you know, I try to hold on to all these stories. But she was she did a lot of uh, jumble sales for the Lib Dems. Okay, um, well the Liberals as they were, but. The Liberal Party then they became the Lib Dems. I remember a lot of our Saturdays were just at these jumble sales. Um, and then I think she stood as a council. You used to still wear the clothes you bought there, by the way, Jeff. I mean, look, I mean, you, if, if you could see this now, I, I, you know what? That has stuck with me. My wife gives me grief for that. I don't know if it's me trying to hold on to my past, but uh, I, I don't I don't really have a clothes budget. Put, no, put it that I'm way. Terrible. I'm bloody hell. Clothes, budget and a shit car is basically my, <laughs> my, my thing. Uh, but she stood as a council, I think. I, th- I think she didn't quite make it. But so they were both on that. Tra- trajectory so so politics was always a live subject in the house and more liberal than left would you say they weren't socialists or, or was your dad more of a socialist definitely no my dad my if anything i think looking back my dad was probably so you'd have liked him he was probably a, a, a sort of forerunner of uh, the champagne socialism because he 
you know, he was in the trade union movement, but you know, all those share issues of the eighties, uh, he had, he had some of that, you know, I can remember, um, I can remember signing stuff, you know, I think it's every chance that I was a director of a company somehow, you know, <laughs> so, you, you know, so again, you know, I, I hadn't even thought of this, Matt, but, but there's, um, there's probably, you know, when, when I talk about the hypocrisy of the left, <laughs> you know, and my dad was a, uh, you know, like a lot of people, you know, we, they believe in a kind of economic fairness uh, and, and a redistribution, but equally wanted to do well for himself and his family, you know, and property ownership uh, was was high among those objectives. When you talk about the hypocrisy of the left, then, and obviously your book, which is out in paperback now, or, or it's coming April, out, yeah, middle of April. middle of April, yeah, fourteenth, I think, deals with this. Is it that? You were attracted to the right, or is it that you felt repelled by the left? Um, I think that, like I think, like you, one of the reasons I love your podcast is that you are you have you're open to everything. You don't seem to despise anyone or anything, and and I don't think I've ever felt. If I do. I'm good at hiding it. Yeah, well, look, you've just become a very good interviewer, put it that way. <laughs> um, but I, I, there's, to be honest, there's been only been a couple of figures on the left that I've genuinely had like quite a, a, a violent response to. John McDonnell always scared the shit out of me because I felt like he had a vengeful attitude towards wealth. It wasn't just like, like he, it made Not just towards angry. wealth either. <laughs> yeah, well, quite. Quiet. You know, Corbyn was, was slightly different because I felt so much of it came from stupidity. So it was it's always hard, harder to get angry with somebody who's, who's just not that bright. Whereas McDonald, I got the sense of thought about it and and and, and felt that way. And, I, you know, I've, I've had a couple of reactions against people on, on the right that way, you know, but, but generally, um, no, I, I just felt that New Labour uh, start, started well. Um, the Things like the council tax rises, a lot of this stuff is, is forgotten, but stealth taxes... I I was working as a teacher in the mid noughties and um, and my wife was working. You know, so we we're both in solid jobs, but but everything was rising around the periphery. So it's not the kind of inflation that we're talking about now, but it was kind of government <laughs> inflation. You know, the simple things that, that governments wanted from you. And I, you know, council tax went up exponentially um, in the early to mid noughties, and it, and it, it wasn't a progressive tax rise either. And and I did look at the way that everything was being fired along on, on cheap credit. And it concerned me at the time because of the sort of economic peril I'd known as, as a kid. So, so by the mid noughties, I just, I just felt that the liberal Democrats represented a more sort of sensible mid middle ground. I remember Vince Cable was talking about the looming, one of few people talk about the looming credit issue. I, I did see around me um, quite a lot of people, uh, Labour didn't seem to have any plan or enough of a plan to get people who've been long-term unemployed, you know, and I saw that having grown up on an estate, uh, having had a, you know, a mum on uh, uh, incapacity benefit, um, you know, it seemed to be to me like sort of hush money, you know what I mean? Like, uh, and, and I, I, I just personally think that, that, you know, in terms of mental well-being and, and being in work is like the, you know, the single most important thing. So, so when the kind of Tories come along talking about those things, you know, those phrases, fix the roof while the sun's shining. I mean, I don't know what's happened to the roof now. <laughs> and I don't, and the weather's awful. But then there was hope of a fixed roof. And 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 all that stuff just 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 spoke to me. And I think what happened was I just realized that, that I am a conservative, like on balance. If you look at those three things in you, right? I think the three main things, where do you stand on personal responsibility? Do you favour sort of like a lean benefit system, not a cruel one? And I think sometimes 
admittedly perhaps with the Tories over the, certainly in the sort of white heat of austerity it did verge towards that and and how do you feel about the size of the state and those are three really big things you go well on all of those I kind of score conservative but with liberal attitudes so the coalition years were a sweet deal you know for a lot of people, I think, you look back, not only was it actually quite a sort of stable period of governance, if you think about the scandals and all the stuff we have daily now, there wasn't much in the way of big scandals. But also, you you know, as I said in the book, you kind of got the sort of Tory sound money, but with a granny flat of compassion of, of the Lib Dems. Um, so uh, 2015, if I'm honest, I probably subconsciously was hoping for some sort of continuation of that. It's tricky because I get what you mean in one regard. It was socially liberal and you had uh, David Cameron, who's a talented politician. But if you're talking about fairness and working class people and, and the effect on their lives, it's at 20,000 police off the streets. Mm. Cut public services in a way that the country's still recovering. You've got a Tory government now that's having to repair the damage that a previous Tory government did. You know, If you're concerned about people's standard of living and the cost of living, there was nothing worse for this country than austerity. I think in the first instance, I think it's easy to forget the context of around 2010 and the Eurozone crisis. You know, there were, we needed to do things to indicate that we were willing to, you know, bring down the structural deficit and also a time when we needed to grow the private sector. So, you know, it's like with politics, a lot of things get forgotten. That was very, you know, you looked at what was happening with Portugal and Greece. I think, you know, I think what also perhaps what muddied the waters was the crime figures, weirdly, continued to go down for quite a while, um, you know, while police force numbers were cut. If you look at the stats, obviously that's changed again recently. the type of crime. Yes, yeah, well, they sort of re- re- reclassified. <laughs> it's so violent crime, rides and frauds. Yeah, you know, we've made thought crimes a crime, and we've decided that thought crimes have gone down. I, but I look I back, I think thought crimes have probably gone up, actually. <laughs> Uh, well, there's certainly more being prosecuted. Eh? Can't say nothing these. Can't think nothing these days, forty. But the um, I, I think that the one election, like, look, I don't, I don't talk about regret with democracy because you always vote based on what's in front of you at the time. The one that I wonder about, I suppose, was was 2015. I guess you know, and not because I of Brexit actually, because I think at some point this country would have had to had a say on our relationship with the EU. At some point, I've got this theory in the book about what would have happened on that score actually if Miliband had got in. Um, I think that well, I think he'd had a former deal with the SNP. They would have got a second referendum before Britain would have even got a first on the EU. So I think, look, the outcome might have been different if Labour had led it. But I still think we would have had a referendum on the EU. But in terms of austerity, I look at that time and think, well, with lending what it was, perhaps, I think the Tories had decided it was a vote winner for them. It had polled well in in focus groups with working classes. I think perhaps that was a time when they should have been easing back. I think, you know, some of the benefit cap stuff, I think was a bit, it was a bit kind of irrational, really. I don't think that, and weirdly, it comes from a conservative place. They're sort of trying to manage how many kids people have. That, in a way, is quite big statist, you know, sort of patrician uh, politics. So, so yeah, I think there, there, there's there's some value in, in what you're saying. By, by a point in the mid part of that, whatever that decade's called, I, I think there's some value in what you're saying. And how do you feel about, this government and its direction. I mean, we're, we're speaking the day after Rishi Sunak's spring statement where, you know, effectively 1.3 million people have been pushed into poverty by his announcements yesterday. And how do you feel Brexit's going? Well, Brexit, I mean, it is... Okay. 
<laughs> there was a bit more emphasis in the second question. <laughs> so being a being a politician, I'll start with the first and hope my brain comes up with a decent answer for the second one. Um, I think that I think I mean we always say about I always think about budgets. They're a bit like a lasagna, aren't they? You know, does most lasagnas taste better the following day? <laughs> Uh, this this budget does not. Um, this does not. I just think that quite simply, he's been too cute. I think he will end up having to do more. And and one thing this Conservative government, you know, we'll get onto Boris in a sec, have done is they've sort of man. They always end up doing the thing, whatever the thing is. They always end up doing it, but they they don't do it initially. So they don't get any of the economic or political capital out of doing it. I mean, if he'd have delivered the budget that really I think eventually he will have to deliver yesterday. Imagine the press he would have got. Imagine how that would have made people feel. And he will end up doing that. I'm sure he will. But there's this, you know, the same with free school meals and stuff like that. They have this this, this number 10 administration. And, and I know it's a bit like, oh, we've never tried proper socialism. But this isn't a very conservative government, really. It, it, and, and they seem to kind of, they spot a... Um, they spot an iceberg and everyone goes, oh, there's an iceberg. And they go, yep, yeah, there is an iceberg. And they go, are you, you got any thoughts on the iceberg? And you're just going to, oh, we're just right. Okay. We're just going to hit the iceberg. And then, and then, <laughs> so it's got, it's kind of gone from fix the roof while the sun's shining to just slam headlong into an iceberg and then patch up the hole. <laughs> and, <laughs> and how do you feel about the, is it your sort of Toryism then? Is Boris Johnson closer to your sort of Toryism than David Cameron? No, no. I, I think some. If you talk about a personality, I like I like people with a sense of civic duty. You know, I, I, I you know, as I've got older, I've learned to appreciate that about Gordon Brown. Like he wanted to serve, and um, I think Theresa May as well. I think that she had that in her. I think Cameron had it to a lesser extent. There was a bit more sort of vanity uh, about him. So, so Boris Johnson is very much not my guy at all. And 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 there is obviously a lot of. Um, revisionism about the 2019 election but the truth is you know and and, and this might aggravate people but I, I don't regret voting conservative at all because what we were faced with then was two clownish options as, as leaders uh both of whom had a poor track record in terms of things that they said or on race you know corbyn at best had a sit i mean johnson has said some bad stuff in articles corbyn had a, a serious blind spot to anti-semitism that was happening there and then right um and then you know, when it came to Brexit and, you know, I'm, I'm open to have any chats about, you know, whether Brexit in the long run will be a good thing in the short. You know, there's lots of ways to view it. But the truth was, once the vote happened, uh, some sort of Brexit had to occur. Some sort of for me as a Democrat, a meaningful Brexit had to occur. So when you had a party that was sort of starting to backslide on that and, 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 and just had a position, which I actually I actually on a mass report record, all I did was. I was going to do a joke about Labour's Brexit position, which was, was it renegotiate the deal and put it to the public, but then campaign against their deal. And um, I didn't get to the gag because everyone's laughing, you know, and, and this is a left-wing <laughs> remaining audience. Yeah. So I felt that at that point, uncertainty was starting to look potentially more damaging than, than, than Brexit itself. So, so yeah, Boris Johnson, even then, I, I held my nose and voted for him, you know, as democracy is often imperfect. He's not my kind of guy. You know, um, I, I, I would be happy if he wasn't prime minister at any time, at any time right now. If you said to me he's quit, I'd say fantastic, because I think that this is we just need people need to feel a bit more secure about who's leading the country. And I, I know that in terms of often a lot of what Boris says is worse than what he does. But 
you know, consumer confidence is abstract, but it's a real thing. And just feeling a bit more certain about who's leading the country. I think we need that now. Maybe another time it was, a, he feels like almost a, a, a sort of relic of a different time in British politics, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and I just wonder with, um, you know, the position you're in where you've basically got, I know you have a cross-party audience, basically you are the Conservative comedian. If the day ever came where you didn't vote Conservative, <laughs> could you openly admit it? And how would your audience yeah, react? Well- Oh, no, I definitely. I mean, that, that's one of the things that I've, I've sort of had leveled against me frequently is a level of disingenuity, right? Like it's just a grift and I've done it for, you know, kind of expedient reasons. Look, I mean, I've only Who ever said, said, well, I mean, most, most <laughs> fair amount of my colleagues at various points, but um, certainly in the early years. And then, you know, I think by the time you've got a book out about it, they go, ah, maybe he is actually a bastard. But <laughs> the, but, but all I've ever done is say what's on my mind at any given point. And I, to be honest, I've always had pops at the Tories. Probably now I have more pops at them because, you know, it's like being a political comedian. They're writing the best setups, you know, and I, I'm a comedian ahead of being a conservative. So I go where the fish are biting. But I've already said, I mean, after the, when Partygate got to a point, I've already said, and, you know, I stand by it is that, you know, I, I, I would struggle whatever the next election is, you know, obviously now it's going to be the, the local election to vote conservative while he's still the leader. Uh, Cause I've, I just think there's got to be a red line issue. There's got to be, you know, a, a tackle studs up over the knee where you go, okay, everyone in the crowd knows that he he's going to be walking down the tunnel. Um, Cause I think it does start to shake the foundations of democracy. If, if that doesn't exist. So, so yeah, for, for, uh, yeah, I, the, these local elections, I, I, I can't, you know, I don't, understand what the Labour offer is yeah I, I just don't know what it is I think the Lib Dems are only three years out from saying bollocks to a democratic vote <laughs> pretty difficult really for me to you know if you think how long tuition fees uh stuck around as a millstone you know and um, what they did about uh the position they took on Brexit is, is a hard one to 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 get around really so I think it uh, probably for the first time and, and my mum would not I mean my mum I'll, I'll probably spoil my ballot paper I mean but I will go and spoil it because my mum from the grave would absolutely rain lightning on me if I didn't exercise my democratic yeah. right well good honour um, just on Brexit then because obviously you supported it um how do you think it's gone so far well, I think that at the moment, because social media is, it, it, it does veer, let's be, be honest, a certain way. <laughs> if, if, if it was like naval superiority, um, the, the, they're the seas on which they sail, right? And I think that there have been things that have obviously been bad, you know, excess paperwork for people. And I, and I think, you know, as time goes on and you become more conciliatory, I am more, you know, when you look at people, how people felt about, you know, freedom of movement and stuff, I, you know, I'm, I, I'm alive to that. You know, I, I understand that hurt. I mean, there are some things that I think, like, for example, supply line issues, which were, uh, and food shortages, which were on reflection quite a brief period of last year, but the way that those get amplified on social media, I mean, it is, it's such an effective tool in terms of creating a sense that, well, everything's gone wrong and it's definitely not happening anywhere else. I mean, there's a bit happening in America. They might, they must've had a Brexit too, but it's definitely not happening anywhere else. And then when inflation first kicked in, you'd have thought that, uh, you know, that we were the only ones, you know, experiencing inflation. Then you looked around major economies and we were actually doing tolerably, tolerably well. I mean, if you look at um, growth, which has actually been anemic for quite a while, you know, growth has been anemic for quite a while. I think you're in the realms of, of austerity. You know, because of, uh, well, yeah, well, that would be 
that would be a view, you know, <laughs> that would be a debatable view. Um, but in terms of where Brexit fits into that, I look, I, I said something, um, I said something on Mock the Week at the, on the only time I did it, um, which was that, you know, people talk about Brexit as a utopia or a dystopia. And I said, I think it will be a bit more like Channel Four, uh, Bake Off going to Channel 4. Uh, is it, it, it'll just be, you know, <laughs> it might be a bit less good slightly for a while, but uh, I, I don't, I don't, I think in yeah, if, if you terms, if you look in the short term, of course, the disruptions are the things people have lost. Um, it's you know, I don't think I ever thought in the short term it was going to be a benefit. And and also one thing I should say as well is when you look at you know what's happened in Russia, I think it would be a very hard nosed Brexiteer that wouldn't have at least had some thoughts about um, you know being more together at that time. Having said that, I think Britain, you know, has done a lot in terms of standing up in terms of military assistance to Ukraine. So there's another side to that coin as well. But um, but the truth is, I mean, it might sound mealy mouth to people. I was never an ideological Brexiteer. What happened was I was asked a question, you know, and, and we all get we all became Remainers or Brexiteers, whereas I, I was I leaned one way, like I leaned one way on politics. And, and I felt that, you know, there were aspects of I like democracy to be transparent. I like to know who the politicians are. And despite what everyone said about even my most Remainer friends, they still struggle to tell me a single member of the EU commission and beyond, you know, Ursula von der Leyen, they don't seem to know who those people are. So I like the proximity of democracy. I like it to be close. In terms of immigration, I was always, you know, pro-immigration. I grew up in London, but I felt that unlimited in perpetuity was, was in a bit of an absolute. I found it odd that nation states had no mechanism by which to, to, to look at their circumstances from time to time and adjust that. But equally, I also felt that it meant that immigration, they become this awful thing, including Labour and Conservative governments, where they basically said, well, look, these are the benefits and the immigration is something we've got to live with. Whereas if, if you're in control of it, then you have to make an argument for it. And 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 if you and, and this might sound like, you know, on, on, you know, in hindsight, a bit deluded. But I thought I'd like to hear a government make an argument and say, you know what, this year we do need 600,000 people. And these are the reasons why. But our relationship with the EU seems to have come down to you know, a negative relationship with immigration. And every few years we sent back some fruit loops from UKIP. That seemed to, you know, it, 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 I, I just didn't think it wasn't, it didn't seem to suit us, I think, as, as well as other mainland European countries. But, uh, but like I say, you know, with recent events, I think this idea that you have to pick a position and just never waver in it your whole life is really unnatural, actually. So, yeah, yeah of course I've had doubts about that in recent times. So if if for some reason there was a vote again to rejoin, would you would you reconsider or would you would you start mm. from a a naturally still leave position? Well, I think what you're talking about there, I can't see it happening in less than fifteen years. And yeah. so this isn't just just dodging the question. I just I so oh, I just don't I think it, yeah, I'd be amazed if it ever. I happens. just don't think it would happen. I mean, at that yeah. point, but then I'd do the same thing I've done at every election is is listen to the offer, um, and 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 listen to the and I think that's how most voters operate. We're all. That's what, I, that's what I love about democracy. They've got to pitch for your business every time. And that's what I hate about the idea that people should be entitled, you know, like that, well, Labour, if you're working class, you've got to vote Labour, you know, and or, or, or if, you're, if you're a person of colour, you have to vote Labour. I think that that's really dangerous and lazy because it, it, democratically and in terms of the way people are thinking, it's, it's a buyer's market at the moment. And what's your relationship with the Tory party like? Then obviously you've got friends who are Tory MPs and I'm sure mm. you do events with them and things like that. Do any of them ever say, Jeff, no, you I don't. stand for part? You're kidding. 
No, no. Well, this is the thing, Matt, is, is that I, I would love to do events, uh, which I would love to earn money. Sorry, can I just put that <laughs> in the right way around? <laughs> I would love to earn money. But I think that the standards that I would be held to are higher. So if I was seen to be cozying up or doing a corporate for the local conservatives here there or everywhere the way again the way that social media works is that it would just be well we, we can now discount everything this man says because he's basically a simple tool of the government so i think that if you kind of i think it's different for labor voting comics they can go and do yeah labor like you know you could do all that stuff and and because people kind of go yeah that's what comics do but i would rather not have the money which is i mean obviously a very, not a very conservative way of thinking <laughs> But but self-imposed austerity. Yeah, I mean it's just but that, but people sort of think I'm some people think I'm a shill anyway. But I just I just don't I think that I, I, for me I would lack a bit of objectivity. I mean I do yeah I communicate with with conservatives. I also communicate with some Labour people. But sadly, and this is one of the differences with politics, is I get the sense with them they'd rather me not say who they are. But you would know, they would. Uh, I mean, obviously, you can say who they are if you like. <laughs> to betray confidence. Well, I mean, I, I respect the confidence, but I think that that, that says a lot. You know, I, I I think that you know, person like like you know, I've messaged with people like James Cleverly sometimes. You know, I've got friends in the party, and and uh, there are there are you know MPs in the Labour Party that you know you have your DMs with and stuff like that. Yeah. But just just you just get the sense without them saying it in so many words that that it would be they would see it as damaging if they were you know sort of in any sort of contact with me well i hope that's not the case um but with the tories yeah. then do, is none no one ever not even a single mp ever said to you jeff you should think about standing for parliament oh so yeah no absolutely i mean yeah. they tried to tap me up something chronic at the beginning yeah. i mean because they they could see i think that quite wisely that there were some elections coming up you know there, there might be a couple even and 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 um yeah, I, I, look, we we and you you know this because of the job you do more than me. We have such a sweet gig, right? We get to be in this world that we love as politics nerds, right? We get to meet these people, we get to have a pop at both sides, and and yet we don't, you know, we we one we're not at risk at losing our jobs at the next election because someone was sitting drinking gin and tonics in a garden um, after rules they just made, right? <laughs> or someone was getting their toe sucked by someone in a Chelsea kit. I mean, that's a, that's a retro <laughs> reference. Isn't that it? is, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I hate that. You know, I'm a very, indi I'm a very individually minded person. So, so the idea that my overall fate is directly contingent upon the people above me, that, that wouldn't, that wouldn't sit well. And, and, and let's be honest, you know, when you, when people say becoming an MP, what you think about, right. Is you think about that firebrand backbencher intervention, right. Which goes viral. That is the most minor, unlikely part of the job what it would mostly be is sitting in your surgery with old deers talking about their boilers now i'll be up front i'm not a nice enough person to want to do that all right <laughs> not on an ongoing basis yeah um so so that's why for all politicians like yourself i have a lot of respect because i know because when you meet them and speak to them but most of them are really sound they have a brilliant energy about them that's one of the things i love about politics and it is a bit different to comedy in a way They've got a bit more vim about them, I would say, than the comedy scene. And, and also balance is woven into their life. So whereas in comedy, they kind of go, well, hey, we're, we're going to, yeah, we, we'll speak to a right winger. When you go on politics shows, they're like, well, of course you would do that, right? So I love the world, um, but I love the position I currently have in relation to. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. And what sort of seat were they talking to you about? Was it like a parliamentary seat? Was it fairly safe? What about uh, no, it wasn't. It wasn't that far along. It wasn't yeah. that far along. It was just. It was, you know, like the old spy thing. Tap on the shoulder. You know, a couple of people said, like, "Oh, do you, you know, do you want to? Would you, would you like to see the chambers?" And of course, you fucking would. You know, like to see the chambers. That's <laughs> yeah, <was> great. <laughs> uh, um, but I. But yeah, I, I mean, I was. I was very clear early. Early on. I mean, my mum. My mum and dad both thought I would go into politics. But in my view, I have gone into politics. Um, having said that, you know, one thing I should say, and so you know, obviously, I'm on tour at the moment till the end of May. The, the show, I mean, seamless, that wasn't it? Seamless. <laughs> um, but was is that is that I'm not I'm not an out and out political comic, if you know what I mean. So if I do an hour, probably a third of it will be about politics. In terms of stuff I do on TV and radio, maybe maybe that ratio will be a bit more. So. So I, I, I love it, but I, I'm, it, it's, for me, it's as much small P politics as well. I'm not an expert in the way that you are, if you know what I mean. I do, I, I, I represent, I am the guy reading the tabloid, it gets a couple of paragraphs of information, then emerges with a very solid view on the world. <laughs> I'm that guy as well, Jeff. <laughs> I think you're reading more than me by the sense of things. I just got well, off the headline. No, I've, seen, I've seen you. I've seen your book collection, mate. I mean, it is incredible. <laughs> yeah, but that's just sad. That's just um, that's pathetic, really, having that amount. Of no, I know. I've got know. more into it. I think there's something about getting into the. You know, you're a bit younger than me, but like, look, what? I mean, it sounds crass at the moment, but there's a reason documentaries about the Second World War are popular. You know, there's a reason biographies about leading politicians, you go, in the end, you go, oh, sod, sod people who've made up stories. There's lots of really good stories that actually happen. I'm going to read those. Yeah, I mean, David Cameron's autobiography is fantastic. I don't know if you've read it. I love a good... I haven't, no. oh, It's really, really good. Really funny. Really good read. I think Does it really dribble a bit off the page? Because when he speaks, it's so moist, the way he speaks. I, I, find, that, I find that hard to get past. He's the idea so... that he was giving me a... I just really liked it. I read it on holiday in Tenerife. <laughs> I had a great time reading it. John Maynard. That's you in a nutshell. That's you in a nutshell. I mean, I've got a load here. Just sort of piled up that I need to get through. But um, Thatcher's is very good. Thatcher's is excellent. The Downing Street is. Well, what I really want, because again, I don't have the commitment you have, is I would just want the BBC to keep making Blair Brown type stuff about yes. everything that's ever happened in politics. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Well, the major ones were good a few years ago, and the Thatcher one, that fairly recent Thatcher. Yeah, one that was, was excellent. Yeah. Um, so you would never, you, you you would totally rule it out forever, or do you think, well, be a comedian for another maybe 20, 30 years, and then go into it? When you're still, you know, I mean, that would make me seventy-five. Um, okay, well, you look younger I, than you are. Look, look, if if there was to be another career change at this point, it would be now, really, because because I'm forty-five. That's you know, that's the time of life when blokes do that. I just honestly, there's just there's just nothing um, in me. I suppose there's a part of me that sometimes thinks if you know a voice like mine within the Conservative Party, but they do have those voices now. They've got their Red Wall MPs. You know, you you would think because that's the arrogance. You would think, oh, if I was there yesterday. I'd have gone, you know what, Rishi, 5p off fuel 
is one of those discounts that reminds you you're not getting a proper discount. Okay, yeah. I'm a normal person. That's what that feels like. That's that, that's actually almost more aggravating than not getting any discount, if you know what I mean, because it's a reminder of what you could have done. There you go, ladies, 13 for the price of 14 or whatever, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's actually a really bad deal, actually. Yeah, that's awful. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that's what it was as a budget. So you sort of, in your, in your arrogance and hubris, you think, I'd go, I'd go bang on the door and I'd say, Rishi, I've, I've, lit, I've had lit, I've had an electricity meeting. I've had one of those tellies we have to put in a pound at the top to keep it going, mate. But that's not how politics works. They've got plenty of people telling them that stuff. And also access is an issue as well. Um, and so so even even if you went at the most optimistic end of what you think you could do, it would take a while. And you, it, it just seems like an incredibly frustrating job. And here's the, here's the thing, Matt, is in, in comedy... The best thing about it as a job is you get to say what you think. And when I see those Tory MPs, right? Who was the geezer they kept putting up? Who's the oh my god, I can't remember his name, but he was the guy that kept getting put up to defend something, and then Boris would U-turn about an hour yeah. later. Grant Shapps, someone like that, you know. Imagine having a Grant Shapps Monday where you just you just get up and go, look, I think the Prime Minister is completely fair. And of course, we're absolutely not going to U-turn on the free... What was that? So, yeah, we are going to do the free school meals. I mean, that, to me, I couldn't live like that. I couldn't. And that's not just that's not just unique to the Conservatives. That's just how politics works. There's collective responsibility. I'm too individual to do that. But you could play a different role, couldn't you? You know, presuming that your voice already exists. There, I know what you mean. Obviously, there are working class voices in the Tory party. There are people that will yeah. share a lot of your opinions. But you bring a set of skills that perhaps other people don't have. You are funny. You write jokes. You think about things in a different way. And, and that sharpness matters in political communication. So you would bring something that other people don't have. But look at what you're bringing to my life as well. I mean, they are, you know, just did the excavation of your past, uh, you know, all the jokes you've what ever have you said. you done, Jeff? <laughs> I think you know what I've done for you. But like, the, like all, all, all the all the jokes, all, all the all the podcasts that they would they would go into, and 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 to be honest as well, I'm very you know I've got a wife and a kid. I'm very much a family man, and 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 what it would bring in, I could probably cope with all that. I don't know so much about whether I'd be willing to unleash that on them. And if you look at, and sadly it's true to say, you know, I try not to be cowed from anything, but you look at the the tone you know, in and around conservative politicians over the last few years, certainly in some quarters of the left, uh, it, you know, it, it's a very aggressive tone out there. It's more than just being a politician. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll look at potentially getting, you know, shit thrown at you and, uh, you know, it's attacks, verbal attacks continually. And, and I do worry, you know, whenever this local election will be one thing, but the next general election, People have built up, I think, particularly since Partygate, such a such a huge degree of moral certainty again about politics. I think that election is going to be is going to be a real tricky one, you know, in ter in terms of tone. And you know, we 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 were there at times with Brexit, but I think that people have spent so long. I mean, you've seen it recently, right? So so Owen Patterson thing was it was a horrific horrific misjudgment on every level and then Partygate took that and, and you know went further so what we had was a long period where every day everyone's getting up tweeting slagging off the Tories and it was happening on left and right so it's built up this kind of momentum of criticism and then what's happened recently is when some things aren't totally awful people can't they won't brook that because of the way that they feel about the Tories so even, you know, when uh, Nazim Zahari Ratcliffe was released even in the minutes after we heard that some people, their first instinct before they said, well, isn't it good that she's free 
is, is to look at Tory culpability. And obviously that is a legitimate thing to look at. But I think it's interesting that 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 people cannot accord the idea that this government not just have done something right, but that haven't done something horribly wrong. And I think that, that they've brought that on themselves, right? You know, with with their handling of things, and with, particularly with Partygate. But I think what it means is going into the next local elections and the next general, that the tone is going to be quite, people are going to be quite frantic about getting the Tories out. How do you feel about um, a lot of the cultural stuff around politics and entertainment and things? So, um things like gb news and things like that i mean is that is that do you watch that i mean is it is it something that you would satirize uh gb news i mean i so i watched it when it first kind of went up i thought and this might be my naivety i just thought look we all news gets editorialized to a point and it doesn't happen necessarily consciously what you have is people that work at a place that have their own internal bias compass and then so things come across them and they're not sitting there this is one of the things about all conspiracy theorists it's not a coordinated thing but you know there is a certain type of work at person that work at bbc news certain type of itv news and, and I sort of thought that well, there's no bad thing that, that if GB News just just editorializes slightly differently. What I was surprised at was how personality led uh, it was and how opinion led. So that's not my cup of tea, really. You know, it's not my cup of tea. I think that it's absolutely fine. It exists on, on the news spectrum, but it's not something, you know, I am, you, you know, I get stick off this from right of center comics. I am quite a mainstream guy. So I, I do broadly get my news um, from the BBC. In a way, I'd rather be annoyed at the BBC, <laughs> if you know what I mean, you know, yeah. just the way that they interpret some stuff. But, but I like, I like, I like, I used to like it when we all watched the same programs. I like the idea of a sort of shared national consciousness. So, so for that reason, despite all its faults and despite my efforts to help in some tiny way address some of those lack of uh, diversity of opinion, I am probably a BBC guy. And are you still on the BBC board? Uh, well, it hasn't sat for a long time, um, but the BBC, yeah, nominally the BBC Diversity Board, which I mean was just hilarious the day that that news broke. Uh, I and and you know what it's like being a comic. We gig everything for us is a gig. The podcast is a gig. We go to gig. We go to the thing. So there was someone that spoke to me about coming in and saying a few words on a panel. Uh, a guy called Tom Ilu, very nice guy, and um, he. And he was, I was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, well, yeah, I'm in London that day. I could go and do a meeting. I sort of looked at it as a double up. Yeah. Honestly, so naive. And then the morning of that meeting, um, it, I was trending by like half six in the morning because it had broke like white guy on diversity panel. And like, that wasn't why I was there. I wasn't there because I was white. It was, it was to talk about class. But each, each newspaper ran with it their own way. And so the, the Guardian was like, Tory on the diversity panel. Yeah. <laughs> and Telegraph probably the same extent. So so that that was a bizarre situation. And I was there, you know, it is weird with the BBC, you know, to offer these revolutionary out there opinions that just happen to chime with sort of 40 slash 52% of the country, you know. But it wasn't really political. It was about class. The, the, the vast majority of stuff that I've spoken there is about, you know, how people who brought up in working class communities see the BBC, you know, in terms of employment opportunities. And, and there was another lady who sits on the panel that covered this great analogy. She said, she sort of, you view it like the Emerald City. And, and so that's been my main role there. Through COVID, um, it's quietened down. But yeah, we, it was quite active in the first year and a half. It is hard, it is hard in the world of the BBC to make, because if you look at their priorities of, of diversity and inclusion, I think they would all acknowledge class is one of them. It's very hard to make it the next cab off the rank, put it that way. 
you know, there are things that your metropolitan liberal would prefer to attend to first. And do you um, sit for a particular term? Like, is it a contract? How does it work? No, it wasn't a job either. That was the other thing was it sort of made out like I'd landed this this gig. It was just a thing that occasionally you met up and had a chat about some issues and, you know, they re- relayed to you, you know, what they were doing based on the last one. So it's probably, we've probably met up about like five or six times. And look, I mean, it's been interesting to sit in a room with Lord Hall and, and hear what he has to say, and 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 then uh, Tim Davy, and and you know, it's really interesting with Tim Davy because like the the way that he what he said has been spun is is really interesting. He he's overseen like the biggest budget for diversity and inclusion ever, like this hundred million thing, and and yet it still manages to have this sort of. Uh, uh, sort of profile as you know the guy that's leading the Tory <laughs> it's this really strange duality about it and and you know but what he he's right in the the that they are losing kind of like you know cd2e sort of demographics as viewers and listeners and and he that needs to be a stronger voice uh within the bbc but but he's just one man you know like there's so many levels below him commissioners people that want to do it their way independent production companies it is so hard to turn this oil tanker around but but it, but for me i think like if you believe in the bbc that's why you do this because otherwise people who don't see themselves represented in something will then go elsewhere and a lot of left-wing people say well i'm terrified of the rise of the far right i go well keep them included in mainstream thinking there's there but they're the same people that will moan if radio 4 commission a panel show that's a bit right of center i mean i wasn't on the one recently that they commissioned but the backlash to it is fucking ridiculous and what one was that I feel, uh, oh it's called like unsafe space or something like that and it had like um, andrew doyle in it and it had a couple of comics that are from what would normally be described as my side of the fence and these people to the extent Matt, where they tried to kind of um sabotage the recording um, by by reserving 800 tickets for it so no one would show up and you go this is part of the problem you moan about people disappearing into the deepest recesses of youtube and then there's this one it's a pilot for a, a panel show on radio four and it had tony law on it i mean the, the hilarious thing is is that if they'd have got in and watched the record at any point they might have heard Tony Law talking about like whippets, flying whippets or something, you know? <laughs> and, and, and so that they, I think that I worry about the rise of the far right, but I just think that there's a more pragmatic way of keeping people in, you know, but, but, but what they, what they really care more about, and this is a problem on the left is like, you know, they're kind of, they're, they're, they're pet subjects, you know, I hate right-wing comics or GBBs or all this kind of stuff, which is quite a funny nickname, by the way. <laughs> It is funny. I mean, yeah, you have to give them that. But but yeah, yeah, sorry, I, I'm kind of waffling the point, but I, I think you, you get where I'm coming from. That's really interesting because class is very difficult because unlike race or gender, well, no, unlike, mm. not like gender, but um, it's less visible. Um, and well, I mean, gender you come is from a working them, class I mean, background, but do well, and are you still working class? You know, so how do you talk about being working class if... Like you say, you know, you've got the builders in and you're having a conservatory dinner or whatever. Are, totally. are you still in a working class mindset, even if you may believe that you hold working class? I mean, this is a question I often ask myself about myself. No, no, it's it's nebulous. It's 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 self-determined. I mean, ironically, you know, it's something you self-identify as to a point. 
I, for me, like me and my wife have this argument. Is is I think it's where you're from, not where you're at, and she thinks it's where you're at, not where you're from. And a lot of people have had that thing of coming from a working class background and transitioning into a very middle class world, but they still feel those values. They still feel that imposter syndrome. You know, like when you go and have meetings at the BBC, that level of anxiety that you feel, the weird hushed tones that everyone seems to speak in, the the, the lack. I mean, like. If you've worked on like factory floors, picking and packing or in mechanics, and then you suddenly go into this world where there's 200 people in an open plan office, but there's no noise at all. <laughs> there's no noise. No one's talking. Yeah. No one's taking the piss out of each other. But, you, but you're absolutely right. I mean, you highlight a, um, a, a real problem is, is what's the metric? Well, and and there's still that's something I'm still on at them about is right. Okay, you're saying to me it's it's hard to pin down. I'm going, but you know, people once said that it was hard to increase other forms of diversity. That wasn't reason not to do it. Um, but you know, and I think that you know, agenda for the most part. I mean, I I can say this. You know, is I think you, it is vis- visual for people. You know, for in the overwhelming majority of cases, we can determine a man or a woman based on what we see race you know disability again for the most part there are of course disabilities that we can't see but it is it is a tricky area and and i think that i worry i worry at the moment that the people are running out of steam in this area because it's hard but i think the reason it's hard is is the reason we should be doing it i mean that sounded like a politician didn't it jesus christ well it doesn't mean that's a that's a good thing you know, no, it, it is hard like man but the reason it's hard is the reason we should be doing it. anyway yeah, i've got yeah, to go yeah. off to sky yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i mean how do you feel about um like being a conservative comedian and being jeff norcott do you feel like you're constantly on the defensive do you know what i mean do you feel like you're having to almost justify a government that you won't agree with everything that they do. Do you know what I mean? You, you sort of, you've carved out a niche and obviously that has mm. pros and cons and strengths and weaknesses, but does it become a bit exhausting after a while being like, well, you're the Tory th- guys. So you explain this. Well, I've noticed that when I, when I've got books for things recently is that people just say comedian that, you know, that thing of saying conservative comedian, it, it, it that gets less said less. And I think that, I've exhibited through my appearances on things a, a willingness to be a comedian, a political comedian above that. And I think that perhaps during the Brexit years, I think like all of us, we were radicalised beyond our natural point of political temperance, right? You suddenly go, I was never this Brexit to begin with, but I've been called stupid and racist enough. You know, I was, well, I was never this conservative. I just voted for them, you know, but I've been called selfish and heartless. So, so I think that something happened after 2019. I think that that vote, which resolved so many things, you know, not forever, but in terms of democratically, I just was able to chill out a bit after that and think, you know, like what, and, and be a bit more um, objective. And, and yeah, I'll be honest, like, I think that the the conservative victory in 2019 offered an opportunity, right? And I think that the agenda, I still like the agenda. I mean, let, let, let's remind ourselves, they were offering to spend money that was called irresponsible. Both parties were, Labour and Conservatives, you know, so it was, this was a high spending conservative government that were elected. But the style of governance, you know, the, the kind of things that, that Boris will say to get out of a sticky moment, you know, the, the thing that it doesn't sit well with me. And, and also just the amount of good talent that was jettisoned immediately afterwards, because Boris and Cummins, you know, they wanted to have a pliable bunch of ministers to get through this agenda, right. Which might've been a noble thing, but what happened was loads of really good politicians got kicked into touch, you know, Penny Morden, who's a, who's a fantastic operator, you know, Nicky Morden and Nicky Amber Rudd, 
Right? All these people are suddenly with experience who know how to speak to journalists. They're no longer part of the party. And then, you know, pandemic hits and you've got Helen Waitley, bless her. She, <laughs> I mean, she's just like <laughs> turning up, like, you know, the first day of private school, just got, uh, uh, blinking into <laughs> She's got Piers Morgan bearing down on her. You know, you've got Grant Shapps. And you think, what, what has happened to these, what I voted for? You know, like these politicians... And and so that that to me it, it sort of was it would surprise me. Um, I thought yeah, and then then they got found out a bit because you know the moment of pandemic hit, you need ministers in front of the cameras regularly and on an ongoing basis, and it didn't exhibit or, or instill a lot of confidence um, in the public. So I think that and it, you know it would almost sound like a bit like saying well real socialism's never been tried, but I I think I am a conservative on balance but you know how i feel about these conservatives is a very different thing you know so in your show uh, and you're on tour till may um when you take the mick out of the current lot mm. how does your audience take that um they well because a lot of them feel the same way if you look at what's happened to boris's approval ratings and, and the great thing is and, and you know so you get a brilliantly mixed audience too if people are grown-ups and and you want when you get in a live gig that's real life that's not social media there are very few people that find it hard to laugh at stuff you know like because they're too invested in it and, and, and it all depends on the way that you approach the subject like i've got a bit at the moment where i talk about boris's bluster and charm running out and I sort of do an impression, nowhere near as good as you. I mean, it's, it's a, a sort of re really lazy caricature of your impression, actually. <laughs> and um, <laughs> all I do is lazy caricatures. Nothing wrong with that. But, but, but then, but then I sort of like mock myself for going. All right, Boris, just do it one more time. Go on, do the thing. Do the thing with the thumbs. You know, because because I'm trying. What I'm trying. I mean, it's it's really not very sophisticated satire. But what I'm getting at in myself is that I am still with him. I'm susceptible sometimes when he pulls one of those faces. I go. Uh, you know, I hear it in your gigs. You do jokes about Boris to an audience of people that dislike Boris, but you can tell that there's sometimes a touch of fondness in the laughter. That is the 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 twisted genius of 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 who he is. And and you know, when you talk when you talk about him directly in opposition to Starmer, there is a lot of comic tension there because these are two very very different guys. You know, one of whom you know very sort of diligent and, and but just does not inspire just anything in i i definitely think his Starmer's a good bloke i definitely think that but i definitely feel absolutely nothing every time he speaks and 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 you know some of your listeners will might think whether politics should be about content and not on feelings but feelings do matter you know successful politicians make people feel something and that is a challenge for Starmer. i think he's good on his feet but the moment he looks down the barrel he looks like he's being held hostage like <laughs> Like like everything he's saying is under duress from like sort of uh, Islamic state. So what um, would I mean potentially obviously in the future you might vote Labour if they were led by a, a, a sort of new Labour type figure again and it was a new let's mm. say someone who let's say David Miliband or West Streeting um, against Boris Johnson would you mm. would you vote for West Streeting over Boris? I like Wes. You know, there's a lot of what Wes has to say. I think he said something so smart recently on the whole transgender thing. He was talking about, you know, you get these tweets about, you know, pregnant people or that exclude the word woman from where they would normally yeah. have been. And he talks about the needless erasure of sex-based identities. I just thought it just distilled such a logical sentiment there. Um, 
the issue with Labour is one is what are they offering? So we don't know, and that might be a, a strategy, or it might it just might not exist. <laughs> um, you know, even the windfall tax is kind of it's not that left wing at the moment to suggest a, a windfall tax, is it? It's sort of like a it's offering the public public a little scratch card win, isn't it? You know, it's not a permanent thing. It's like there you go, here's a few quid, more than what they were saying, but not a lot in the grand scheme of things. Um, the the issue for people like me, so if you are a conservative. Is that you are that you are that so that is your team nominally right, but what is the broader offer of Labour Party? So if they get a front bench that is the sensible people, the people that are kind of respond well to you know people like Starmer, West Street, and maybe Andy Burnham, people like that, um, like the exact people that would put the hard left off basically. But um, but if they get together, that fair enough. But then what's the wider PLP? You know, and what and what is the what is the mechanisms and the institutions of the party? Have they really changed fundamentally? That's my that's my issue, to be honest. I absolutely have no doubt that Labour could put forward a saleable proposition with sensible politicians, but but you do get the sense of what what is the deal here? Is is Starmer would never have the mandate that Blair had? So is it a case of you know vote Starmer, kind of get you know sort of like a sort of Corbynista type agenda. Now, a lot of people might say economically at the moment, all right, yeah, <laughs> Starmer plus roughly Corbyn's economic agenda is what I want. But yeah, no, I, I, have, I have some reservations about that. So so I I, I I, don't know. And I guess there is a part of me that I'm not massively tribal, but it would involve me crossing a Rubicon in the same way that Labour people that voted Conservative. It's not simple as just going, right, well, these are, these are shit. There's still a reluctance. It's a hard thing to do. Of course it is. Just on gender and sex-based rights, because mm. this is becoming a whole huge debate now, and rightly so, and it seems to sort of animate... Well, firstly, the Scottish National Party and, the, and, and elements of the Labour movement in a way that perhaps it hasn't animated other parts of the political spectrum yet. Is it stuff you do material about? And, and, and yeah. how do audiences react to it? Where do you think public opinion is? Um, I think when you say the word trans, the, the air goes out of the room for a few seconds every night when you say the word trans because everyone knows it's sort of almost a Pavlovian reaction. This is a hot button subject, right? I think that my my attitude to everything is that I don't want to I don't want to make people unhappy. I don't want to make people feel excluded for, for anything, but I want to have a discussion about stuff. And I think that I think that, you know, I saw a poll yesterday that was being shared by a lot of kind of pro-trans people saying that 52% of the public think transphobia is a problem. And I think fair enough, but I, I don't think that that sort of still addresses some of the issues around single sex spaces and, and to a lesser extent sport. I think that I, I kind of have a lot of faith that where I'm at is, is possibly because I generally am bang smack in the middle of, of a lot of things is that is that if somebody is fully transitioned, I think in most part people would overwhelmingly think that they were the sex. They, people might not think you can ever really change your biological sex, but people would deal with them and respond to them in that way. You know, the way that they wish to be referred to. I think self-identification is is a is a tricky thing to get your head around, you know? It's just when does it occur? How does it occur? What level of physical change does it occur? And people might say that, you know, single sex spaces are are, are a marginal part of the overall part of this. But but when when you're making laws, right? When you change universal credit, the, the stories you'll hear about in the Daily Mirror are the people that it didn't work for. That might not be the majority, but that's part of how you change, is, is you have to iron out these things. So I think that um, I think it's just going to take time. And I think that uh, people on the left will equate it with, with 
you know, gay rights. And they're sort of implying that if you're saying this now, you might be viewed as a homophobe in the future. But I, I just think the, the numbers involved make this different. Like, I think that they're just simply, you would have known and worked with a lot more gay people than you will, especially people that have fully transitioned. We're dealing with a different numbers game here. So it might take longer to have discussions. And, and to be honest, some people might always have an issue with phrases like men can get pregnant. It's, 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 it's like you're literally asking people to go against like probably the most fundamental thing that they've ever thought. That's that's tricky. And that's not coming from a place of wishing to exclude people. And and then I think about where Labour on this. And I think that, you know, if there's anyone who, who listens to this from the Labour movement, you've got to have an answer to the question, what is a woman? Because as elections come round... <laughs> you this, have a better answer. You've got to have an answer. Like the, because just sitting there, like, well, this is a ridiculous pedantic. That's not enough. And when you get smart people like Yvette Cooper saying that, you think, wow, it almost underlines the problem. So, what will happen as elections come into view is that this will be weaponized by people on the right. So, every time there's a clip of a Labour politician not being able to answer something, what it will do, it will, it will serve as an attack line for the right to sort of say, well, you, you know you thought the Labour Party were, were all loons and out of touch. Have a look at this. This is Starmer, you know. And, 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 and even if it is that they just pick a position, right, just if you are, if you believe that self-identification is, is that's the, your view, like you are what you say you are, pick a bloody position because you can't be constructively ambiguous on Brexit, right? You can't operate largely in hindsight on a pandemic, and then as the third in this, this awful hat trick, not know how to define a woman. These aren't like, these aren't, by no means are these all the only issues in British politics, but the public will start to worry about you if you can't answer this question. And just on class and, and identity in place, this levelling up agenda and stuff, I mean, is it the sort mm. of thing that, I mean, it sounds good. Yeah. I think I understand what levelling up might mean. Um, I mean, from a class point of view, I presume it's something that you're you're broadly in favour of. Yeah, I think. Well, I mean, it, it can be seen as a bit of a, a of a soundbite, but there are things being spoke about now that you do wonder why they didn't happen before. I mean, they might be seen as cosmetic things, like moving the treasury to York and people say, "Was that?" That's a cosmetic political gesture. Well, yeah, so is a lot of politics, right? And and it means something. It's it's a signal of intent, and you do sort of look back on the new Labour years. Sorry, Matt, but like if you do look back at Labour years and you think like this should have been, I know they, I know they put a lot of employment in, into those areas, but it's, it's interesting that they didn't openly and overtly make more headway uh, in, in, in this ground. But what's good is it's sort of become part of mainstream political thinking now. The idea that you, and it's, and it's a consequence of the Brexit vote is that you have to distribute economic benefits more broadly outside the, the, the southeast so i think it's two things i think it, yeah it is, it is a soundbite it's a kind of safety blanket for tory ministers but but it's now whatever party's in power it's something they'll have to address but isn't that the danger that what new labor did was actually redistribute wealth and opportunity across the uk and what the tories are doing is saying let's move the treasury to york which which just makes the work of the treasury harder you know power is in london i'm not going to change that it's a gesture that's going to cause more problems than it's going to solve. You just get loads of people arriving a bit drunk because it's, it's quite a nice train. It's, a, it's quite a nice train journey isn't it, on the oh, east coast mainline. Yeah, get on the LNR. It's really pleasant. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's just not too long either, is it? It's just enough time to settle in, have a bit of drink, have a, have a look yeah. out the window. Um, yeah, but I do think that, you know, Channel 4 moving to Leeds, BBC moving to Manchester, I think that these are how these things occur. They're tributary industries around there, and people start thinking of um, of, of regions in, in a different way. Um, it is odd, you know, when you get, like, remember with Rishi, the photo of him with his Yorkshire tea, and the Tories going, you know, a bit you're, 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 you know, northern, <laughs> And Boris sort of calling Rishi our kid. You know, it is <laughs> it is odd, but 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 that you know, again, that's Labour, that's territory that it might be weird for the Tories to be saying it, but it's it's Labour's to to reclaim. And and also, sorry, the, the other point as well is like when when Labour did redistribute in that way, a lot of it was just you know, a lot of it was uh, public sector based, putting public sector employment into bases. It'd be great for some of that, you know, as a conservative, for the, for the if there had been a more balance between public and private. Jeff, there is so much more I wanted to talk to you about. Hopefully you'll come back on again at some point Love in the to, future mate. because it's been so well, good, so stimulating. No, mate, I always always enjoy uh, talking politics with you and hopefully, you you know, this is this is like the home leg, isn't it, with your podcast and then hopefully <laughs> you'll come and do the away leg on, 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 uh, on a rainy night. Can you do it on a rainy night on Tuesday in what most people think? But when you came on before, people people still talk to me about your your argument about, you know, keeping the union together in Scotland as one of the most persuasive they've ever heard. So, uh, Oh, my God. Well, my I'm not God. the only one that people say should go into politics. <laughs> Jeff, this has been fantastic. I, I'm, I'm, I can't believe it's taken me so long to get you on. Thank you so much for coming on. No, it's been a pleasure, Matt. And thanks for all this stuff you put out. It really makes my oh, dog man. walks bearable. <laughs> Well, there you go, Jeff Norcott, the paperback of his book, Where Did I Go Right? How the Left Lost Me is out soon. I put a link to that. Um, you can buy the hardback if you like, of course, uh, and go and see him on tour. Um, I Blame the Parents is touring across the UK until May. And just what a fantastic conversation. Uh, and it's the sort of thing where I think it's different. You know, when you know someone, and obviously I know a lot of the guests that come on the show, but certainly with comedians, and I haven't really had that many comedians on. I think I've only had Jeff and Al Murray on. It is a bit different when you know someone because you don't, when you have a conversation in the pub or at a gig, you don't, it's not an interview. So you're not actually picking their brains in the way that you would here, if you see what I mean. So actually it is um, slightly surreal to interview someone that you usually have a far more casual, obviously it was a fairly casual interview, um, but it's just so good just picking someone's brains because obviously it would, it would be very odd to just interview someone backstage. <laughs> Well, it would be rude. Um, but getting the chance to pick the brains of people you know, actually, is a really underrated um, thing, isn't it? You should interview your mates more often, even just in normal life. Because actually getting that perspective and getting that information out of them, maybe you don't always unlock that in a conversation. And just interviewing people that you think you already know about always, always reveals more. Um, so I'm just so grateful to Jeff coming on. He was a fantastic guest and the time flew by. Um, and I must get him on again in the future because he's just relentlessly reasonable and <laughs> such a nice bloke. And just so interesting to talk about these things with. And I think particularly Labour people, oddly throughout that whole thing, I just thought this is something I think Labour people might get more out of than, than Tories. Actually, there's a lot of lessons for the left in, in what Jeff says. Um, a lot of things that the left really needs to think about. Uh, if they're going to convince, they might not convince Jeff, but people who are maybe just attached to the left of Jeff that 
voted Tory for the first time at the last two elections. I think that in, in what he says, there are not a, a lot of nuggets there. So go and see Jeff on tour. Go and buy his book. Come and see the political party live. James Cleverly is the next guest on Monday, the 4th of April. That will be a fantastic night. Then on the 11th of April, it's Jacob Rees-Mogg and Rosanna Allen Khan. The 18th of April with Rosie Duffield. And uh, future guests also include Lisa and Andy, Gary Neville, uh, David Davis. And I'm on tour at the moment. Thank you to all of you have come to such wonderful shows all around the country. It's been the most enjoyable tour. I don't think it's just because it's on the back of COVID, but it is a thrill to be back out there in these beautiful venues. And I'm performing at the Bloomsbury Theatre, my big London date, on Saturday the 23rd of April. You can come and see my new show, Clowns to the Left of Me, Jokers to the Right, around the UK, including Nottingham. I haven't performed in for years. I can't wait. Um, that's on the 5th of May. And Exeter, you know what? I always forget the list, but it's I'll put a link to it as well. <laughs> um, and I'll she'll see you soon. Thank you so much for downloading this. Tell your friends about it, leave a review, and uh, I'll see you next week. Ta-ra. 